Good afternoon. Welcome to our study of the Psalms as we read through a few of the different Psalms here from Psalm 1 through 150. Uh, we're actually in our last week of the Psalms, so we'll just have only a few more Psalms left before we read Psalm 149 and 150. Uh, but we'll have the reading Psalm 139 today. And so 139 is a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm that David has written and um, I think it's very characteristic of, of David's psalms writings. It, it, it's very reminiscent of some of the other psalms that David has, has penned. And today we're going to be reading Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm that I think many might be familiar with, at least a portion of this psalm. Uh, verses 13 and 14 might be, might be uh, some verses that many people might be familiar with. But uh, we're reading Psalm 139 today, starting in verse 1. So it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Uh, verse 1 says, you have searched me and you know me. Um, the word that, that David uses is primarily a word that is used for excavating, for digging, for um, kind of burrowing into the soil. And so the idea that David is trying to portray is that God has really excavated his heart, that God has really dug down deep. And it's not just this uh, surface searching or looking, it's not a glance that God has done, but rather that God has searched David fully, that God knows every hidden detail about his life. God even knows when he sits, when he rises, he perceives his thoughts from afar. He discerns his going out and his lying down when he's at his home, when he's out about. He's familiar with all of David's ways. And in this verse 4, he says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. This idea that, that God knows David so fully, so well, that even before David utters a word, even before David utters a prayer, we might say, that God already knows the prayer that is going to come out of David's mouth. This familiarity that... Uh, is so it's kind of so beautiful when we when we think about God knowing us so intimately, so deeply, almost as if um, to be known by by an incredibly good friend or a spouse. And so this is this beautiful idea that God knows us so perfectly that He knows even the thoughts before we think them. He knows even the words before we say them. He knows our thoughts. He knows our going and our coming. And and He He has searched us so deeply and so personally that He that nothing is hidden from Him. And then verse 5 and 6, David continues, saying, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So David starts off verses 1 through 4, um, really talking about God's kind of omniscience, this, this ability for God to know all things, to know all the, the secret inmost beings of David. And he transitions from, uh, from that omniscience, from this all-knowing God, to an ever-present God, to an omnipresent God. Uh, verses 5 through to 12, we'll see that. Uh, but verses 5, we, we get this first taste of this omnipresence of God, this God being everywhere. And, and so David says, you hem me in. And the idea he, he uses in, in the Hebrew is you, you besiege me, you surround me completely. The word that David uses is a word that is often used for, for military tactics of besieging. When a, when a big big army surrounds a city when a city is completely surrounded and enclosed unable to escape unable to go anywhere because an army has besieged the city so this is what david says you have besieged me you surrounded me completely behind and before me you have laid your hand upon me 
God has so surrounded David that his hand is resting upon David's shoulder that if, if David were to suddenly move or try to run in any direction, he could not do so without uh, the Lord knowing, without God knowing. And then he says, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He's really saying, I am, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm struck by, by the amazing presence of God. God is before me in every which way that there is no way that I could go, that I could ever escape from God. And we're going to keep reading that in verses 7 through to 12. Uh, we can kind of continues expanding on that, that inability to escape God. Um, and, and not in a bad way, not in a way that David wants to escape God, but rather he's kind of rejoicing in the fact that God is with him wherever he goes and that no matter where David would go, uh, that God would be there. And so we're reading verses 7 to 12 here. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he says, uh, where can I flee from your face? The idea is, where can I flee from uh, your goodness? Because often the face of God was was tied synonymously to God's goodness, to God's favor, to God's blessing. And so we can even take this to mean, um, David is not just meaning, where can I flee from your presence and your face? Where can I flee that, that you cannot see me? But rather, we can also take this understand that David might be saying, where can I flee that your goodness won't follow me? I think of Psalm uh, chapter 23, where David ends the psalm by saying, your goodness and your mercy follow me all the days of my life. And so David might be saying the same thing. Where can I flee that I might hide from your goodness, that I might hide from your blessing? There's nowhere that I can go. In verses 8, if I go up to the heavens, to the very highest heights, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And, and the word David uses for depths is, is the Sheol, uh, the Sheol being kind of the grave or the, the underworld, this idea. And so David is really saying, if I go to the very highest place, the place of the gods, the place of the spirits, the place of holiness, the heavens, the very highest heights, if I go to the very, the very bottom of the depths, if I go to the underworld, the place of, of dead spirits, he says, no matter where I go, you are there. And obviously he's not talking literal, it's just metaphorical, it's, just, it's this imagery that he's painting, that no matter how high I go, no matter how deep I go, God will always be there. And he continues verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So David starts verse 7 and 8, if I go up, if I go down, you are there. If I go left, if I go right, you are there. Verse 9 and 10, as in the wings of the dawn, is kind of like the sky, the sun, uh, the subtle on the far side of the sea, the ocean, the, the, the far expanse. And so David says, no matter where I go, whether I go north or south or east or west, up, west, up or down or left or right, he says, no matter which direction I try to go, he says, God is there. And then verse 10, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It will protect me. It will continue to sustain me, that right hand. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes a night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David says, even if I were to be encompassed fully by the darkest, darkest night, even and we might picture this, even if no star were shining and the moon were completely a new moon pitch black, there even, even God would find me. And he says, the night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. There's no place that we could go to hide from God for God sees all of our things, all of our, all of our, all of our lives, all of our thoughts, all of our words. Every part of us is completely exposed to God and God sees that. And then verse uh, 13 and 16, we might even uh, switch this. this. This might be the three uh, attributes of God that we often find in the Bible, this omniscience, this all-knowing verses 1, one, to, 1 to 6 or 1 to 4, and then this omnipresence, this ability for God to be all places wherever we go, verses 5 to 12. And then we might think of this as, as God's um, omnipotence, God's all-powerfulness, uh, verses 13 to 16. 
He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David is rejoicing. He's reflecting on, on this this beauty of God's power that, that God had created him, that God had knitted him together. And I like this idea that, that David portrays, this idea of knitting, this person carefully crafting slowly. Uh, if you know anything about knitting, you know knitting is, is often a slow process. And this beautiful idea of God um, knitting together every fiber of David's being, every fiber of our being in our mother's womb, that God carefully crafts us, not not just um, with, with, with care, but with intention, with purpose. And this is what he gets to in verse 14. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. David is really saying here, he says, I am distinguished. This is the wording that he chooses. I am distinguished from the rest of creation. Not just David, not just him personally, but he's really saying humanity. Humanity is distinguished from the rest of creation. We are not like inanimate objects. We are not like the beasts of the forest and the sea and the, and the air. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has created us with care and with intention, with purpose and with plans for our lives. And verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you. You see everything, even in the secret place. Even when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body, he says. And then verse 17 to 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Verse uh, 18 says, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. He's really saying, God, he says, your, your wonders, your thoughts, who you are, what you do is so tremendous. It's so powerful that it is limitless. Really, that's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's as pointless to try to count or to box God as it is to try to, to try to count all the grains of sand on the seashore. And he says, when I awake, I'm still with you. And really what he's saying, he's saying, as I reflect on this, it is too, too grand to reflect on that the day cannot contain the wonder that I think of God, the, the, the beauty that I behold of God. He says that even when I fall asleep, when I wake, I'm still with you. He says, should I fall asleep? I wake up and I still see the grandeur and glory of God. The days, basically what he's saying is that there's, there's not enough time to count the wonders of God. That's what he's saying. He says there's not enough time in, in, in any day, no matter how many days, to count how awesome and wonderful God is. And then verse 19, we see a shift here. And it's an interesting shift. Uh, verse 19 and 22, he says, If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. It's an interesting shift. Uh, because we go from this, this psalm that really praises God for the amazing power, for the amazing presence, for the amazing knowledge that he has. And then David shifts to requesting God to slay the wicked. Um, and, and we might wonder, why, why would David shift like this? But I think part of the reason that David shifts like this is because he's, he's really reflecting on, on how much God knows. And in and, and the beginning, he talks about how none of the ways of, of his are hidden, how his, his thoughts are, are, are spread out before, before the Lord how before even a word is on his tongue, he knows it completely. And then he thinks, well, if God were to know all these things, if God were to know our thoughts and our actions before we do them, he says, then God surely must notice the wicked. That's, I, I believe, the thought process that David goes through. He says, God must surely know the wicked because God not only sees the surface area, 
but he sees the deepest, darkest parts of our lives. That's where he says, uh, verse one, you have searched me and you know me. You have excavated every part of me. It's all laid bare before you. And he says, so, so God, he says, please deal with the wicked. And oftentimes this, this is part of David's prayer as he praises God for, for his righteousness, for his goodness, for his love. He also asks God for, for justice, for judgment on those who, who pervert God's law and those who oppress uh, the innocent. And so he kind of switches into that. He says, if only you could slay the wicked. He says, away from me, you bloodthirsty man. He doesn't want to be counted among them. He doesn't want to be counted in their company. And he says, like, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. And then verse 21, 20, uh, 21 and 22 are interesting because David says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Really what he's saying is that I, I don't approve of those people who have rejected God. I don't approve of those people who have, who have shunned him, who rise up against God, who hate God. And to hate God, really when we see in, in the wisdom literature and Proverbs and in Psalms and Ecclesiastes, to hate God is to hate everything that is God, which means to hate God is to hate good, to hate God is to hate justice, to hate love, to hate mercy, to hate forgiveness. So David is talking about those wicked people that are perverting all the good things of God, that are pursuing their own gains, their own selfish gains at the expense of the lives and the well-being of other people. And 21 and 22 are actually similar to an oath that a vassal would have taken before a king. So a second-hand person or the, or the right-hand man of the king would have taken some sort of oath like this to promise to hate the people that the king hates, uh, to, to turn the king's enemies into his very own enemies, to swear allegiance almost as if uh, that's kind of an oath. And so it's almost as if David the king, it's interesting, is taking this oath, swearing to God the king to hate the king's enemies. And so he's, it's really kind of this nuanced phrase that he's saying, which is beautiful, that he says, God, you are my king. That's what he's saying. He says, you are so beloved to me that I will serve you for all my life, that even those who are enemies against you, I will make them my enemies. Even those who hate you, I will hate them because I've sworn such an allegiance to my king and to my God. And then verse 23 and 24, he ends, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, my every thoughts. He says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so it's, it's kind of interesting because he goes from this. He says, you know everything about me. And then he says, and if you know everything about everyone, then surely you must know about the wicked. So deal with the wicked. And then he kind of pauses. I, I imagine he pauses verse 23 and 24. And he realizes that, that he must be counted among the wicked as well. He knows that he has sinned. He knows that he has done wrong. And so he says in verse 23, it's kind of um, a, a verse of repentance almost. We don't see this, this direct request for forgiveness, but we do see a desire in David's heart to turn towards God. So he says, search me, O God. It's the same word, the exact same verb he uses in verse 1. He is excavating this deep searching. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. He says, test me and know me. And, and this, the wording that he uses actually, um, he's really saying not just my surface thoughts, but my intentions. It says, know my heart and test me and know my intentions. That's really what the word uh, that David uses means. And so uh, he's not just saying, know just my thoughts. But he's saying, know the reason behind my thoughts. Know my intentions because we can act a certain way. We can say certain things, but oftentimes our heart has different intentions. And so David says, don't just know the surface part of me. Know my deepest intentions, what I actually mean. And he says, see if there's anything offensive in me. See if there's any way of wickedness. That's the wording that David uses. See if there's a way of wickedness in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. So basically what David is saying, he says, bring judgment on the wicked. He says, but, but God search me. 
It says, no, if there is wickedness, remove that wickedness from me. Lead me into paths of righteousness. Lead me into good paths. Lead me into the way everlasting. And so it's this beautiful psalm that David kind of reflects on the wonder. He's, he's in awe of, of who God is, of all the wonderful things God does, and of, and of the wonder and majesty of this king of kings. And he swears allegiance to this king, to this Lord God, to this Yahweh, verse 21 and 22. He asks God to bring judgment upon the wicked, verse 19 and 20. And then verse 23 and 24, I imagine David reflecting on his own wickedness, on his own sinfulness, and saying, and, and, and God, let there not be wickedness found in me. That's really what he's saying. He says, God, remove that wickedness from me. Lead me in ways everlasting. And I find that this is often um, the, the pattern that we go through, at least, at least that I go through, is this reflection on the amazing wonder of God, the amazing wonder and power and majesty of the God that we serve. And then to see the world in such chaos and such sin and such evil, and to think, God, please set things right in the world. But then as we, as we reflect on what is wrong in the world, we begin to realize that we also contribute to what is wrong in the world. And so this, this, this contrite heart, this repentant spirit, uh, in humility, we might come before God, like David says in verse 23 and 24, saying, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my intentions. And if there's any wickedness in me, if there's any evil or sin, cast it away from me, God, but rather lead me into the way of salvation, lead me into the way everlasting, everlasting. lead me into goodness that I might be a friend of God, David says. Um, so this is kind of a beautiful psalm that we read, Psalm 139. So I just pray that as you read this, that you would uh, find that awe and that beauty and the grandeur of who God is, that you would find the beauty and majesty of the, of the King of Kings that we get to serve. And then in verse 23 and 24, that you would also come in humility before God and saying, God, test me and know me, know my attentions. And if there's any wickedness in me, God, cast it away, lead me in the way everlasting. And so that's my prayer for you, that as you read the psalm, that you would see the majesty of God and come before God in humility, asking for guidance as, you, as we journey through our own uh, past and as we journey through our own way towards understanding and relationship with God. Uh, but let's pray and let's close Psalm 139. God, we're so thankful for uh, the amazing majesty of the Lord that we serve, of the God, of the King of Kings, of the Prince of Peace, of of the Messiah. And so, God, we just pray that you would help us to be in awe, in continued awe of who you are, that you would help us to see you, see your majesty, to bow before the King, bow before the throne, and to worship you and give you praise for the goodness that, and the good God that you are. And God, I just pray that uh, you would help us to have a, a humble heart, to come before you in humility and, and, and in a humble spirit, to know that we are sinners but that you, God, can lead us into the way everlasting. And so, God, I just pray that for each and every one of us, that you would search our heart, that you would know our intentions, and that you would lead us into better paths, into better pastures, that your mercy and your grace would follow us all the days of our lives. So we thank you so much, God, for the blessings that you provide, for knowing our inmost hearts, for knitting us carefully with intention and purpose in the womb, and for having plans for us. We praise your name. Amen. Uh, so join us tomorrow as we read Psalm 143. I'll be reading Psalm 143 tomorrow, so, so join us tomorrow at 12 p.m. here on Facebook Live for Psalm 143. Uh, as always, if you had your own take on Psalm 139, maybe something you found beautiful as you read through these, these scriptures, as you read through uh, these verses, please feel free to leave it in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Uh, and as always, if you have prayer requests, if you have needs, uh, please feel free to comment down below. Either reach out to me personally or uh, privately or, or through our social media. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to support you, pray for you, pray over you in any way we can. Uh, but as always, we just pray God's richest blessings over your day. We pray that you have a good rest of your day and that you stay safe and that you take care. Amen.